Yeah. Whew. And can I just, okay, so Micah, that was, thank you, that was awesome. But did you guys notice that Heather was on the drums? Heather, I've never seen her on the drums before. Come on. Man. I also need you guys to just slow down a bit, Dylan family, because the level of talent is just too much for my comfort. Uh, <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, so we're talking about growth. And I did this little mental experiment. Have you ever done this where you, you kind of like, you think back through your life. And you know how sometimes you can, you can think back through life and you actually, you, it's almost like you have these little, these little snapshots, these little, these little moments. It's almost like a picture in your brain of like, oh man, at that point in my life. But then later there's a snapshot at that. And you can, you can almost flip back through the snapshots to remember all the stages on the journey of your growth through life. <laughs> so we're building, a new, um, we're building a new church website, and we'll talk more about it later, but what I'm learning is, you know how long it takes to build a website? Longer than planned. That's, that's how long it takes. Just, I don't know what the number is, but it's longer than planned. But as we were developing it, the, the web developer said, oh, actually, um, there's a website out there that takes snapshots of websites and just archives them for you. Even long after the website is gone, you can go back and, for example, get the snapshot of the homepage from the Centennial Covenant Church website in 2006 when it first went live, and you can go, man, look at that nice website. Look at the colors that it used, because it had color. I honestly thought to myself, maybe we don't need to build a new website. We can just kind of restore this one, and we're ready to go, right? Uh, the service times have been changed, but I, I just, I liked that little experiment. I got to go back, and I got to say, man, the website used to look this way, but then it got updated to a new look, and updated to a new feel, and updated with some new information. I think we've, I think maybe we've fallen in love with this idea of we can just get updates, especially when the updates just run on the background while I sleep. That's the kind of update that I like best in my life. I wonder if God doesn't also want to update some things about our lives, not just church websites, not just the language we speak or the words we use around uh, faith and formation, but I wonder if God wants to actually update some deeper things inside of our lives. I was thinking about how the church actually does more than just update its websites. We use different language. Throughout church history, there's been all sorts of different words and phrases attached to this journey of following God into whatever growth he has for us. It started in the scriptures, we hear about this word that got used for Jesus followers that was actually meant as a kind of insult at first, but the Jesus followers said, yeah, we're going to grab that. The Greek word was a Christ one, and it's translated into English as a Christian. And the Christian said, yeah, that's not an insult, that's our faith. But then along with Christian came all sorts of other words. We had the Catholic Church, which broke off into the Protestant Church. And then, of course, we went absolutely wild. And you might have grown up in Orthodox or Pietist or Anabaptist or Reformed. We have all sorts of words we use. 
They get updated throughout the seasons to describe this journey of following Jesus. We're part of a church that uses the word evangelical, right? We're in the evangelical covenant church. And for many of us, we think that's a good biblical word because evangelism, the good news, it references the fact of God's good news to all people. But evangelical is actually just a historical term to reference a uh, restoration movement in the church in the 20th century in the Western world. And it turns out that a lot of people are actually starting to question whether evangelical is a word they want to use to describe their faith. Uh, This guy, uh, what's his name, Blake Chastin, I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, he actually started a few years back, he coined a new phrase. He said, let's talk about what it means to be an ex-evangelical. Somebody who used to say, I'm an evangelical Christian, that meant something to me. But now, whether they've left the faith, whether they feel like their faith has changed from the evangelical church, or whether they have the exact same faith that I might call evangelical, and they've simply said, "Mm, I'm not comfortable with the word anymore because it's come to mean so many different things for different people. The ex-evangelical movement is a group of people who are updating what it means in their lives, what words they use to describe how they faithfully follow Jesus. I think Jesus wants to update some things in our lives. I think he wants us to grow. But whereas the words can come and go, whereas the websites look different season to season, there are some things that will never change. We've been saying God always wants us, as as Dale said so powerfully last week, God wants to bring us to completion. He's made us who we are, but he's got something more in store for us. But if we're going to understand how it is that God is going to grow us up from where we're at to where he's got us going, we said there's a few things we want to understand first. We first want to understand, well, who are we? What what does it mean to be human? And here was the attempt I made to, to capture what scripture says about humanity. We said humans are emotional, intellectual, physical, spiritual beings designed, created with purpose by God, designed for love. And this growth that God wants for us, it's a growth from sickness, from brokenness, from, as scripture says, sin and death into health. But sure enough, our understanding of what health means comes from our understanding of who we are. And so health, health is not just, oh, well, if I pray more, no matter what else, if I pray more, then I'm becoming healthy. But rather, the biblical picture is much bigger and more beautiful than that. If humans are multifaceted like this, then health is a multifaceted, integrative spectrum. It's a lifelong journey that doesn't take just one small slice of our life, but says God made every part of your life, and he wants to grow you up holistically until we come, Scripture says, to completion, to being like Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I read Paul's words that he says we're being grown up into the full maturity of Christ-likeness, If I'm real honest, I have to say to myself, I still got some work to do. (laughs) I've still got some work to do. 
if God really made us multifaceted, he made our physical bodies. The book of Revelation paints a picture that our physical bodies will somehow still be there. Our emotional, intellectual, relational beings, then what that means is this journey of growth in Christ is not just a spiritual journey. As though somehow I can close my eyes and forget about the world around me, but in some way, I think scripture says all health, all of it, that whole big beautiful picture, all of it is part of my spiritual health. Every aspect of growth that I pursue is good in God's eyes to help me become the person God made me to be. But if that's true, if that's true, then the task we have today is to ask the question that we said we were going to ask on the first Sunday. Yeah, okay, girl, I see that God has more for me. He wants to bring me to completion. I see that there's potential and there's more in my future. But how do I do it? Like when it really comes down to it, how do we grow? So I'm going to spend some time this morning looking at a scripture. Just a minute, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. If you want to go there now, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, starting in the first verse. And here's where we're going. The, um, the first sermon in this series, I titled it The Growth Challenge. And I called it The Growth Challenge because growth is challenging. Here's the sermon I want to preach today. And, and this is kind of giving away what the landing point is. If, if growth is challenging, we know that it's challenging. There's been a challenge extended by God to us. Uh, if we're going to talk about how it is we grow, and no matter how that happens, we know there's going to be some difficulty along the way. And the question we're going to land with is, how are you going to respond? And I want to preach a sermon titled, Challenge Accepted. And here's my hope. My hope is every one of us would, in fact, respond that way. Luke chapter 10. Jesus is in the beginning stages of his ministry. He's called the 12 disciples. He's started the teaching and healing ministry that he will continue for a few years. And some groups have started to gather around him. And so at this beginning point of his ministry... Jesus wants to pave the way for all that's ahead for him, for his 12 disciples, and for the larger group that's following him. And so we get a little glimpse of how it is Jesus goes about preparing the many different towns and cities that he will go to. This is the way Jesus chooses to prepare many, many people for the ministry that he will bring. Look now, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, 
that will return to you. Stay there. Eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Jump ahead to verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Would you pray with me again? God, you sent these 72 out as part of their discipleship, their growth into who you made them to be. God, by the power of your word read here in this place, grow us up. Grow us up, we pray. And everybody said, amen. So I want to answer the question, how do we grow? I'm going to use this text to highlight five different themes that I see both in this story, but also throughout scripture. But before we get there, I want to answer, ask the question on the flip side. If, if we're going to talk about how God grows us up, what are some of the ways that we don't learn to grow, right? See, if, if growth, if God's bringing us to completion, is the purpose of the church, as Jesus said, make disciples. Discipleship is a growth journey. If that's the point, then I would expect, I would expect, call me foolish, but I would expect to look around and see churches spending all their time and all their energy and all their resources focusing on answering the question, how do we help people grow? How do we help people be disciples who make disciples who are life transformational like the Gospels talk about? I would think that's what we'd see. And I love the church. I, I, I love the diversity of the church. I love all the things that people do to try and draw people to be faithful followers of Christ. But if I'm honest, sometimes I think the way the American church goes about doing church might, could be a distraction from the actual work of growth. There's three things I want to mention. Um, that I think don't bring about our growth. Here's the first one. Um, worship style. Now, we obviously have a, an absolutely amazing worship team. I mean, they're great. And I happen to really love the music that we sing. But did you know that churches have split apart? People have been hired or fired. People have attended churches or left churches simply because of the style of music. Drums are of the devil. I will not worship if there are drums. Give me my pipe organ and only my pipe organ, right? And you could apply that to any number of stages along the way. And I think worship style matters. I think worship style can make it easier for me 
to come into a worshipful experience with God. So I think it's good to think about it and talk about it, but here's what I know. Worship style will never cause anyone to grow. Guarantee it. You know what will cause you to grow? A broken heart of true worship before God. Worshiping God just may help the power of God to get into your lives. Worshiping God where we're vulnerable with the challenges we face, where we go to God with the hopes and desires and needs of our heart. Worship can make a huge difference and the style just might make it easier for you or harder for you to worship, but the style will never bring about any growth. Or similarly, a little closer to home, preaching style. Now, I happen to think a lot about preaching style, and I think preaching in a way that makes the Word of God interesting, engaging, uh, relevant to people's lives, I think that's a good thing to think about. But I tell you what, it doesn't matter what my style is or whether or not you like it. My style of preaching will never change a single heart. I sure think God's word can, and I hope I can bring people to a moment of encountering God's word, but my style has no power to transform lives. And that's a good thing, because if that was on my shoulders, whoo, just count me out. Like, just count me out if that was on my shoulders. Or here's another um, third thing, and I just, I don't even, I don't even like talking about it, but I just... You go and you look at the American church today and just pick an issue. Just reach out into the news media of the world and pick any issue. Issues, I don't even want to name what, you just, you fill in the blank with what issue we're talking about, right? Just pick an issue. I was actually, I was, I was in a gathering with some um, people from Centennial um, and somebody goes, you know, Carl, uh, I've been making a list. I was like, okay. Great, what, what kind of a list? And they said, it's a list of things you can't talk about from the pulpit at church. I was like, are you serious? And they pulled the list. It was a piece of paper that they had written on. They're like, here's the things that if you talk about it, oh, you just know people are going to be mad. And I laughed and, and cried a little and a little bit of all of that. But here's the thing. Um, all the things on that list, it, it was true. Um, th they matter. They're important. They have consequence. Scripture teaches all sorts of things that would guide us to determine, you know, to, to choose or to vote or to act or to think one way or another on all these. But whether or not I'm right about how to respond to any one of those issues will never transform my heart. Worship style can't change us. Preaching style can't change us. Being right can't change us. As a matter of fact, the starting point of transformation is confessing not that I'm right, but that I'm wrong and I'm broken and I've messed up and that I actually need God's help. That is where it always starts. None of this matters. Or sorry, I should say none of this changes us. All of it matters and can be helpful to bring us to the one critical starting point, which is this. The one and only thing that will ever change us is the power of the gospel. And our readiness to submit our lives to that good news that we don't have to be enough because God already is enough. Paul said it this way. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. Anybody want to like amen or something like that? Okay. 
Can we agree? I think we can agree on that. And the challenge is we love to chase all these other things. And we could, you guys could come up with other lists, maybe better lists. The point is this. The gospel is the thing that will cause us to grow. It is the power, the only power. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. And yet we chase so many other things. So if the gospel is the power, if God in us is the power, and worship and preaching and, and faithful living you know, can or can't help, well, what do we do to get ourselves away from all the distractions and into the thing that actually matters. When I read Luke um, 10, I saw five themes. Um, and I just want to kind of briefly go through these themes. I see them jump out of this text, but quite frankly, I see them jump out of all of the gospel and pretty much all of scripture. So I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on this short passage, but... This is just kind of my attempt to go, this is what I see God doing with his people throughout history. I'll give you all five up front, and then I'm going to briefly talk about each of them. Here's how I think we grow. We do it intentionally. We do it holistically. We do it experientially, relationally, and my least favorite of them all, iteratively. Let's jump in. Uh, the story of Luke 10 starts this way. It says, Jesus sent them ahead of him into every city and place where he was about to go. Jesus knew he wanted his ministry to expand all throughout Israel. And after that, he wanted to expand into every country, every nation on planet Earth. And so what did he do? He purposefully prepared the way. Jesus calls his disciples to be part of an intentional work. I think growth always happens not by accident, not just by circumstance, but when we can get intentional. Growth happens intentionally. And we see Jesus calling people to make intentional choices. At the beginning of his ministry, he said, hey, hey, you're fishing. Hey, you're a tax collector. Hey, you're doing this, you're doing that. I want you to do something else. I want you to follow me, to make a choice. Our growth happens not because our intentionality is the power, but because without intentionality, we're going to get distracted by so many other things. So we have to focus our intention. A leadership coach I met with for, for quite a while, he loved to say it this way. He said, you will never drift to your intended destination. So let me ask you this. If you believe that God wants to grow you up to completion, are you being intentional about your growth? If I could only pick one thing, that's the one thing I would put over the top of it all. Are we being intentional? The story goes on. Jesus is intentional. He calls his disciples to do things on purpose with him. And he says, all right, go out. Do this thing. I don't exactly know how it worked, but he's like, okay, put the peace, and maybe the peace will stay, but maybe the peace will return. I've never seen my peace like go and come in that way, so I don't totally know what it means. Um, but then he says, once you get to a house, here's what you're going to do. He says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. This is actually connected to what we talked about, who we are as humans. Jesus didn't just say, hey, go sit down in the middle of the city 
close your eyes and pray because all we really need is to pray all the time. Hear me, I love prayer. I am all for prayer. But Jesus says, you're gonna make some relationships with people. You're gonna live and sleep under their roof. They're gonna care for you. You're gonna eat food. You're gonna heal physical illnesses. And all of that will be part of your preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. So sure enough, how does growth happen? It happens intentionally. And just like we said how God designed us as humans, growth happens holistically. It's not one sliver of our life. It's every single part of it. I also really love that Jesus's plan for his disciples, and it turns out that what he did with the 72 here, there's also two other stories of Jesus doing more or less the same thing with just the 12. He sent them on a journey. And it's really interesting because they'd only been following Jesus for a pretty short amount of time at this point in the story. Like, maybe a year, but maybe not even that long. And what does he say? He says, all right, um, class is over. Go. Get out. Do it. Time to get up and go. I mean, think about, think about one year after you had been a Jesus follower. <laughs> one year later, if Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Don't take anything with you. And just start going to some towns and preaching the kingdom of God. And, and just find a place to stay and find somebody to give you all the food that you need. Ah, I, didn't, I didn't pass that course in faith yet, Jesus. But it turns out, Jesus' growth plan is not just a classroom or a curriculum. But his growth plan happens experientially. Or you could say, we live our way. We live our way into Growth. I think I've got that on the next slide. Yeah, there we go. Um, Jesus wants us to grow not just by reading a book, not just by taking a class, but by actually living our lives. Um, next part. It's interesting that when Jesus sent the disciples out, he did it in an intentional way. It says, uh, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two into every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus gathered his 12 disciples around them. When Jesus was asked, who are your mothers and brothers? He said, the church is closer in relationship than even my mother and brothers. As a matter of fact, the early church, when they were planted, they didn't call themselves fellow Christians. They called each other brothers and sisters. Jesus did everything relationally. One of the most powerful ways that we realize this is not just the life of Jesus, but the testimony to who God is throughout Scripture. Um, the gospel of, or the gospel writer John gave us this powerful phrase when he said, God is love. And I think when he said, God is love, it was an echo of the teaching that we call the Trinity. God is three persons. But only one God. Three persons. Okay, got it. One God. Okay, I don't got it anymore. How does that work? I don't know, but here's how it works. If God is love, that means that God is a relationship. His very being is relationship. And if you and I are made in the image of the God who is relationship, then that means our growth always happens relationally as well. 
One of the first illustrations I referenced in Scripture at the beginning of this series was that God desires us to be like a tree planted by a stream of living water. That's what health and flourishing and abundance look like. Well, if that's the metaphor, then I think relationships are the healthy soil required for any plant to grow. How does growth happen? We grow intentionally, holistically, experientially, and relationally. But then Jesus gets to the part which is my least favorite part. He says, all right, you're going to go to all these different towns, right? You're going to, oh, shoot, no, I forgot. Okay, uh, pause. I'll get there in a second. Rewind. Um, Relationally, this relational um, aspect of our growth happens, I think, in two dimensions. First, it's our relationship with God, right? Vertical relationship. And it's our relationship with other, horizontal. And us Westerners, we love to take those and pretend like they're two different things that we can somehow separate from one another. Oh, how's your relationship with God? Oh, it's great. How's your relationship with your friends and your family? Ooh, it's really bad. Mm, I don't think we can separate those two from one another. And we get a little glimpse of that in the story. Uh, At the end of the story, it said, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They submit to us. We said some things. We did some things. We went where you told us. We did what you called us to do. And they submitted to us in your name. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others are not two separate things, but they're two parts of only one thing. In a sense, the relational aspect of growth means that all of our growth happens with God's power and our participation. How much of one and the other? I don't know. I just know it's always both. God's power, our participation. God's spirit in us, our responding to do what God calls us to do. And then, of course, comes the last one. And we get this, just a, a small little glimpse of it in the story. I can, I can literally, like, I'll imagine what would it have been like to be one of these pairs of disciples going out into towns, preaching this thing called the kingdom of God that was brand new on strange, you know, people kind of going like, what is this thing you're talking about? This is weird. This is different. And it says, when you, uh, when you enter a town and are welcomed, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed. And I just thought, oh, how true is that of life? We have seasons where it sure feels like there's all sorts of welcome around us. It doesn't matter what room I walk into. People are happy to see me. I've got positive relationships going. Things are moving up and to the right, the direction I like it. Right up until the next season comes. (laughs) When challenges feel overwhelming, where everything I try just seems to fall apart, where every room I walk into seems to have somebody who's mad at me for some reason. I'm just banging my head against the wall. So I think, if we're honest, growth happens iteratively. It happens in seasons of excitement and growth and movement. Let's go to the next slide. And then it happens in seasons where there's difficulty or struggle or we fall behind. We just got a great lived illustration of this, right? We, um, every day, you probably uh, have some trees that you drive by at some point. Maybe you're like me and you have an apple tree in your front yard. And so just a couple weeks ago, 
the apple tree, which had been sitting there, just, you know, doing nothing. What are you doing, apple tree? I don't know. You're just sitting there. You're not doing anything for months. And then suddenly, this isn't my tree, but this is another one. It just explodes. It feels like overnight you walk outside and boom, bright and colorful and beautiful. You're like, oh, apple tree, I love you. You make my house beautiful. I'm so, and then five inches of snow come and destroy the apple tree and rip branches off and throw them on top of my car. And don't worry, it didn't scratch my car. So I'm fine. Everything's fine. But the apple tree, which for months was just dormant and then had an explosion of color, had three branches ripped off of it in one little snowstorm. Growth is iterative. It comes and goes in different seasons and it requires some serious patience of us. So, here's what we've said. If we're gonna grow, we need to first know, who are we? What am I? What am I as a human? I am an emotional, intellectual, physical, spiritual being designed for love. And God wants to grow me up to completion. And what that completion looks like is a healthy life. Health is multifaceted, integrative, and it's a spectrum. It's not just an on-off, yes-no, check-the-box, but rather it's a lifelong journey. And if we're going to move from where we're at to where God wants us to be, we're going to do it intentionally. Uh, Next slide. We're going to do it intentionally, holistically, experientially, relationally, and iteratively. I really believe, I really believe that the God who made you has more for you. He has for you something ahead that is a growth, a progression, a movement towards completion, something more than where you're currently at. And if that's true, there's one critical question, which we've been asking again and again, and quite frankly, I'm going to keep asking it of myself and of all of us. The question is, what am I going to do about it? Will you seek the growth that God has. And that question brings us to where we always land with our sermons. It's not enough to just know what Scripture says God is doing. What Scripture says God has done, is doing, or will doing, we rather must always say to ourselves, so what is your move and my move going to be? How will I respond? Now, churches update their websites. Churches update their language. And Sure enough, churches update the way we answer this question of how are we going to grow. What Centennial Covenant has done for years and years, and probably in some form will continue to do, um, we have worship gatherings where we try to create a space that makes it natural to connect with God in worship, where it makes it easy to connect with God's word, which can change our hearts. We have life groups where people can relationally meet in their homes and share this journey. We have Sunday morning classes for adults and for children of all ages so that we can learn the truths of faith and apply them to our lives. And all of that might be all that we need to do for all of us to grow. But there come seasons where we say, could we try something different? Could we try something that might be helpful in new ways and meaningful ways to more people? And so what I want to talk about now is something that in the fall 
we're going to launch as a new pathway for intentionally pursuing growth. And I'm talking about it now, even though we're launching it in the fall, because I see I want us to take seriously the question of will we actually pursue this growth? And we were trying to figure out um, what to call it. What do I call it? I don't want to call it just another class. I like classes, but it's not just another class. I don't want to call it just another program. Programs are necessary, and, and maybe you could define it that way, but I don't know. I don't like the word program. It feels duh. So I came up. I didn't come up with a name, actually. Somebody else did. I don't know who came up. Did David come up? I don't know who said it first. We came up with a title that I think you're going to really like. We're launching in the fall a new pathway towards growth called the growth challenge. <laughs> because growth is challenging, and growth is the challenge that I think God has offered to every one of us. And I hope it's not just a program built to facilitate our growth, but what I really hope is that we as a church continue to be and all the more embrace the reality that we are building a culture of growth. What would it be like if every single person who called Centennial their home, whether it's your first day here or you've been here since we were planted over 30 years ago, whether you aren't following Christ and you're just exploring it, or you've been faithfully following him for decades, what would it be like if every single person connected to this community said, I am growing because of my part in that fellowship? We have run two pilot versions of the Growth, pro of the growth Challenge. Uh, I just about called it the Growth Program. Oh! <laughs> We've run two pilot versions of the Growth Challenge. And I'm going to play a video in just a second um, showing uh, uh, some of what people have experienced. But here's what it is. The Growth Challenge is a 16-week, self-guided, small group-based, intentional growth experience. It's self-guided because the growth that you need, and the growth that you need, and the growth that you need, and the growth that I need might in fact be different. It's self-guided because I think you are more likely to know how God is calling you to grow than I am or any classroom teacher ever will be. It's a self-guided growth journey. You'll hear people talk about, we're going we're gonna to pair people up with a coach to ask some questions and help you discover how God's calling you to grow, but you are ultimately the authority on what God is saying to you. But it's community-based. We're going to put you in a small group. We're going to challenge you to consider inviting somebody to go with you, two by two, you might call it, on this growth journey because relationships are critical. Because our mission statement says we share the journey. That's what we say. But all of it is a way for you to look at every aspect of your life, to look at your job, to look at your relationships, to look at your heart, to look at your uh, activities, your habits, and say, God, how are you calling me to grow? And I'm going to get intentional about setting a season of life aside where I pursue that growth. I pursue it with some resources, reading, watching, thinking. I pursue it with some relationships. I pursue it with some spiritual practices. But I pursue it in a way that holistically engages all of my life to go the direction God is calling me. Here's the experience of a few of the about 20 people 
that have completed the growth challenge so far. at a stage in my life where I was ready to take on a new challenge um, and take on some new discoveries of myself. I'm on the Board of Elders and so uh, we were invited specifically, hey, we should check this out, try something new and see if we can get something started in the, uh, in the, in the church and see how it might roll out for the, the rest of the church and be valuable. I, I'm a learner, I know that about myself. I love to learn and um, this seemed like a real neat step forward uh, in our congregation, something that we were looking forward to offering other people. I think I chose it because um, I do love to learn and I do love to grow. And so it kind of fit right up my alley. I don't think I would have been as um, intentional. I think I benefited because I really felt like I could involve the spiritual journey that I was already on um, and really let um, time with the Lord um, and what He was already doing in my heart really dictate the process. Yeah, I appreciated the structure of um, sort of the threefold learning experience. There would be uh, a relational component, be an experiential component, and a cognitive. I think it was crucial because one, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Probably shouldn't say what the heck. I didn't know what I was doing, um, and I don't think had I not had that uh, that leadership and someone who had been there and knew what they were doing to kind of help me talk it through. What I loved about that component of it was I was able to come to the table and say, "Here's what I'm thinking I want to work on, and here's what I'm thinking is an area that God wants me to grow in." But it really was the questions that she asked me that really. Uh, caused me to pause and really think through, is this really what I want to do? But one highlight was at the end uh, doing a three-way meeting with the coach, the growth coach, and my mentor who was uh, on a screen at this point because he was out of state, um, and myself. And it, it was just so encouraging to have these two people who I dearly respected uh, just speaking into my life. The, uh, the, the coach brought things down to earth to, to require me to be very practical. so encouraging. It felt like, one, I just was ministered to how God was loving other people through their growth plans. It was really inspiring. I think one of the things that I've just in the past couple years I've been really paying attention to is the way God designs a relationship with each person to individually benefit them and help them grow. And I think I saw that during this growth group process because I got to just hear testimonies of the way people were being ministered to. I loved the uh, ability to be in a group and hear other people's stories because it was in those moments that I heard other people's journey and where they were at and how God was speaking to them that God spoke to me. We had someone share in our group session um, just about her journey and where God was taking her and that was kind of my aha moment with God where he said, I know you made this plan for yourself, but I really need you to let that go for a moment and step into this area with me. I, I remember 
seeing a poster in a friend's office, and it was one of those leadership posters. Uh, this one really spoke to me though. It was, um, the only sign of life is growth. And when I couple that with what Jesus said in, in John 10 about, I've come to give you abundant life, well, assumed in that is that we're gonna be growing as followers of Jesus. And this is a great opportunity to, to make that happen. I want others to be able to be at rest with God and to know that they're enough and that they can just be in His presence. Here's what we know. We know that however God is challenging us to grow, whatever difficulties, struggles, hardships are in front of us, that growth is not something we have to do alone. Because again, one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples was a promise. He said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. His power is with us always. The question is, what we're going to do about it. I'm going to give you just three dates to kind of plant a seed in your mind. We've got months to think about how am I going to respond, but I want these to be months where I go, God, am I intentional? How are you calling me to grow, and what am I going to do about it? Friday, July 1st, we're going to open Growth Challenge Registration. My hope is that I can get 40 people to sign up for this first time through. Maybe way more than that are going to try to sign up, and then we'll have to figure out what to do about that, but that's my goal. I'd love 40 of us to do it, and then we're going to do it again in the spring. If you register, you're going to get, you know, we're going to put you through the process, get you in your group, and then Saturday, September 10th is when we actually kick this thing off. Again, a long way in the future, but if this takes intentionality, let's start planning for it now. And then 16 weeks later, Sunday, December 18th, we're going to have a celebration lunch after worship where we say, let's celebrate all the ways God has been at work in the lives of the people of Centennial Covenant. Now, here's the fact. Dale, just, if you didn't listen to Dale's sermon last Sunday, go back and listen to Dale's sermon. So good. Worth it, if for no other reason than the closing story he shared, which I still get choked up just thinking about it. Like, right now. Ugh. Oh, it's, ugh. So good. Um, But he said it, and we've said it many times. Uh, In life, challenge, difficulty, struggle, hardship, it's not optional. We know it's going to happen. But it turns out that growth is optional. We can struggle and have a hard time and basically just try to white-knuckle it and anesthetize ourselves long enough to get through it. Or we can say, God's power wants to grow me through this. Struggle is inevitable. Growth is optional. It's up to us to decide. Will you, will I, accept that challenge? Pray with me. God, I celebrate the fact that we're already a church that that loves and seeks and, and creates spaces for people to grow into the person you made us to be. Women, men, young, old, new to the faith, lifelong in the faith. We just, it's a community filled with people seeking you. And and so we, we celebrate that and we thank you. But God, we know that there come times that we just need to make some updates. 
We need to listen to you to see how you need to update some things in our hearts. Fix some broken code in the way we think, the way we act. Even as a church, you might want to prompt us to change the structures for how we create a shared journey of transformation, glorifying you and following you and your mission to our broken world, God. So I just, I pray that it would be you that we seek. It would be your power that changes us. It would be you and you alone that is the desire of our heart and the focus of our minds. But God, would this be a place where we get intentional about doing the work you've called us to do? We know growth is a challenge, but we just pray that every one of us might honestly, in some way, hear that challenge and say, I accept. By your power, my God, I accept. Amen.